Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Good morning, everybody. As we have been saying, we think about this day 20 years ago, a day that lives in infamy in our history of our country. For those of you who've been around for that amount of time, it's one of those things that you know, people ask you, do you know what you were doing on 9-11? You remember what you were doing. Everybody has something to say. I remember this. I was doing that. It was a terrible day in our history. 2,977 people died on that day. Among them, 343 firefighters, 37 uh, police officers from the Port Authority, 23 NYPD officers, and eight uh, EMS personnel, EMTs and paramedics. You know, we think about, um, you know, what was often said specifically about firefighters, that as everybody is running out, they are running in. And this was especially true in, in, in the story of the stories that you hear about uh, 9-11. You know, during this time of the year, every year, you know, you, you turn on the TV and there's always some kind of documentary about September 11th. This year, actually, I saw one that I had not seen before. It was on Hulu titled 9-11, A Day in History, and they had a, a number of interviews and videos that I had not seen before in the last 20 years, and it, it's just really, um, it, it breaks your heart, and it's gut-wrenching to, to hear the stories of those who, you know, were there, those firefighters that were there, not, you know, many of them thinking, you know, this is probably the day that I will die, and in some cases, that is actually what happened as they're going up. Many didn't make it. You know, during that time, I was uh, working for the fire department, so there was a, a, a close connection to that. And so, you, you know, we are fortunate to have first responders. And, you know, I want to I encourage you to, you know, when you see a first responder, firefighter, police officer, just, just take a moment and thank them for what they do. Because, you know, they, they really give it all. They, and, you know, it's not just them. It's their families, too. They, they risk their lives to help others. Thank them. You know, today we had the, uh, you can put that on, uh, Brent. The, uh, we had a, a, an opportunity today to go, to go and just uh, thank uh, some of the firefighters and uh, uh, the firehouses that are closest to our, our, our church. And so, just, uh, we delivered uh, just, uh, um, you know, firefighters and food. You, you, you know, you're always safe when you give food to firefighters. And so we were able to deliver some breakfast items to the fire stations uh, around our church. And so it was just a privilege to, to touch base with them and to encourage them and thank them for what they do. And, uh, and share, share our love, share some of the word of God. And, uh, and so, again, I just want to encourage you to, to take the moment and uh, just... Thank your, your EMS workers, your police officers, firefighters who really work very hard to keep us safe. Amen? Amen. You know, um, for most of my adult life, I've had a uh, working adult life, I would say. Oh, uh, there's more. For most of my adult working life, I've had a uniform, you know, that I had to wear when I worked. You can put the PowerPoint on, uh, Brent. Um, uh, and, you know, the, uh, as the name implies, of course, a uniform is for uniformity. You know, uh, I, I wore a uniform in the Navy, obviously. Uh, wore a uniform. I briefly worked at, um, in, in the fast food industry, so I had uniforms there. Um, uh, obviously, as a paramedic and firefighter, I had a uniform. The only exception was when I worked at the IRS. By the way, somebody left me a chocolate. See how, how good people are. Dove chocolate. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, when I worked at the IRS, and technically as a pastor, I don't have a uniform. But, but again, the purpose of a uniform is to identify you. you. Again, everybody's the same, but it identifies who you are and what you do. So it's, that's the purpose of a uniform. But now, in some cases, as what I am dressed as today... A uniform is meant to protect you. 
to keep you safe, to allow you to do the work that you're supposed to be doing without getting hurt. And, and in a case of a firefighter, if a firefighter values his or her health, they're going to wear every piece of their uniform. Now, friends, as Christians, we too need protective gear. In fact, this, this is called, um, we would call this in, in Philadelphia, bunker gear. Or in, in some places they call it turnout gear or simply gear. So today I want to encourage you to put your gear on and you will live. Amen? Let's open our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6 in verses 13 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 13 through 18. You also see it on the screen. You can look it up in your Bibles, but you can see it on the screen. You'll see it here in the New King James Version. It's Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 13 to 18. By the way, you do have a study guide in your bulletin that you can complete. It's a short one. This one's a short one. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done it all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which, with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darks of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end and uh, with perseverance and supplication for the saints. You know, uh, uh, there's a, bit of, a little bit of controversy or maybe disagreement among biblical scholars as to who was the intended audience of the Apostle Paul when he writes this letter. I mean, it's called the letter of the Ephesians, so it must be um, a letter for the church of Ephesus. But some scholars believe that actually Paul's intention was that that church would go to the church. Uh, the letter was intended for the church of Laodicea. You remember the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation? This was the intended audience, apparently, but because Ephesus was such a large metropolis, it ended up there. And so it's called the letter to the church of Ephesus. But now, whatever the case may be, the letter to the Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. That means this is one of the letters that Paul wrote from prison together with Colossians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon. There's four prison epistles. So here, Ephesians is written from prison. Certainly, jail is not the best place. It's not the most inspiring place to be for you to write a letter. But this is where Paul is when he writes this letter. And this was a time of chaos in the Roman Empire. Nero was the emperor. And if you, if you know anything about history in Nero, you know that Nero, Nero was a very immoral guy. Very moral. In fact, he, uh, we're told that he burned the city of Rome, and, 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 he, and he said that the Christians uh, uh, were, were responsible so that they, they were killed. And, and he would uh, light them up. He would cover them with tar and light them up in the middle of the night so that they would uh, uh, you know, light up the, 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 the city. They were burning up. Nero. All kinds of things. We're told that um, on, on one occasion there was a, 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 a Roman senator who was murdered by uh, one of his slaves. And in retaliation, based on the rules of Rome, all 400 slaves of his household were killed too. Because just one had killed the Roman senator. Around AD 62, this is where, uh, when this letter was written... There was a revolt in a place called Baudicea, um, and over 70,000 Roman uh, soldiers perished along with many rebels. And so in the midst of this confusion, and as a result of deep thought and inspiration, the Apostle Paul produces one of the greatest uh, uh, letters, one of the greatest utterances of the importance of faith in the Christian life. That's faith alone can restore peace and unity. And then Paul ends this letter with very practical advice. He talks about family relationships, between, uh, relationships between husband and wife, and, and between servant and master. And in light of this background, in light of everything that's going around in the, in the Roman Empire, Paul advises his audience, Paul advises the church to put a uniform on. To put a uniform on. We know that uniform as the armor of God. 
put your gear on and you will live, friends. Now, I said this before, as Christians, we are children of God, and as Christians, we ought to have a uniform on. Now, again, a uniform is meant to identify you so that people know who you are and what you do. If I walk outside this church here and people see me, there's not going to be a confusion about what I'm dressed as. Somebody came by and I was sitting there and, Pastor, why are you dressed as a firefighter? Notice they didn't say, Pastor, why are you dressed as a chef or as a nurse? No, it's, it's unmistakable what I'm dressed as. Okay? As Christians, people should be able to say, when, they, when you go out of here and they see you, they may not have talked to you, they may not have uh, know who you are, but they should be able to say, that is a Christian right there. Amen. A uniform is to identify who we are. But, as I said earlier, in some cases a uniform is meant to protect you. Now you may wonder, what do I need to be protected against? Well, Paul says it. Notice Verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, I think about the inferno that firefighters were running into when they walked into, when they ran into those twin towers. You know, one of the, the, the iconic things that we see always in these documentaries and pictures is that people were jumping from the windows. Imagine the hell that it had to be up there that the best option was to jump. Imagine that. Fire, fires are, are, are not a pretty thing. I've seen some nasty ones over the years. And so this is why a firefighter needs protective gear. But friends, I would submit to you that 9-11 is nothing compared to what we must face because Paul says that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against Satan himself. Friends, we need protective gear because we're in the middle of a war. Have you noticed you're in a war? Have you noticed that Satan is doing everything he can to attack you personally as a Christian and to attack the church? We're in the middle of this great controversy. And because we're in the middle of this great war, because we're in the middle of the great controversy, friends, we need to put our gear on. Put your gear on and you will live. Now notice there what Paul says. He says, put on some of the armor of God. Put on the whole thing, right? Put on the whole armor of God. See, see, Paul is saying that we, if you're going to wear your protective gear, you can't just be choosing, well, let me see if I'm going to wear my helmet today. Maybe I won't wear my boots today when I fight the fire, when I go in there. That's not what we're supposed to do. Now, as you look at me right now, can you tell what items am I missing from my uniform? Oh, the most obvious ones are the gloves. Now, I could have worn my gloves, but it's just hard to press the clicker with them. So I don't have my gloves. All right, so gloves, what's the next? What, there, what, something else. I'm sorry? The air tank. That's right. That's right. The air tank, we, all, we call it uh, the SCBA, or um, back in you know, my day, we call it Scott Packs because that, Scott was a company that made the, uh, the SCBA. Uh, there's something else I'm missing. Huh? Well, those are tools, uh, and, and we were going to get into that. But yes, I, I wanted to get one, but I, I don't know. My wife wouldn't let me. <laughs> she wouldn't let me bring the axe. But yes, an axe. What else? What else what am I missing? Well, the, uh, you, know, that's, you know, the oxygen tank, well, we're going we're gonna, to well, put that together. The, the tank has the mass, so that's, one, that's just one thing. Huh? Well, that's not part of my uniform, though. It'd be crazy if I brought a hose in here, right? A box of bagels. <laughs> With cream cheese. I, I was joking around with them because if I'm dressed as a firefighter, we gave bagels to the firefighters. Where's my bagel, right? Well, actually, there's one more thing. Uh, uh, the hood. There's a hood uh, that we wear. Now, uh, the, the point about this is that every part of your skin must be covered. 
you, you must understand that when you go into a fire structure, a dwelling, uh, the temperatures in there can reach up to 1,000 degrees. And if any part of your skin is uncovered, you're going to get burned. So you have to have everything on. And so, uh, obviously, gloves, everything else is covered. Uh, you put your mask on, um, and um, you tighten up the straps, and, and then you inhale, and that creates a seal around your face. And then you put the hood. The hood reaches over your head and covers every part of your skin. So the point is, when you go in there, every part of your skin is covered. Um, you know, back when I was a firefighter, in those days, there was a policy in the Philadelphia Fire Department where if any part of the firefighter's face got burned, they actually got a financial compensation from the city. But as you can imagine, if somebody got burned, there was a, a, an investigation. They're just not going to give money away. And if it was found that they weren't, didn't have all their uniform on, not only they will not get financial compensation, they could get fired for that. Right? So all, every part of the uniform is important. Paul says, put the whole thing on. This is the only way you'll be able to survive. This is the only way you'll be able to stand in the evil day. Now, what is the evil day he's talking about? Somebody, the tribulation, maybe some people think, well, maybe the time of the end. And I would submit to you, absolutely, if we're going to make it through the time of the end, we better have some kind of protective gear on. Because the more the days advance, the more we get closer to the coming of Jesus, Satan is working overtime. We've seen already, I've told you before, Daniel 12, 1 talks about a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. What's coming, it's, it's pretty bad. If we think we're bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. So we do need protective gear, understanding what's ahead of us. But I will submit to you that we need protective gear right now. We need protective gear right now because Paul is saying right now we're in this battle between the spiritual powers against us. Every moment that we face temptation in our lives, maybe it's, not, maybe it's just me, but Satan knows sometimes where to get me. And sometimes those areas that I think are the strongest are the weakest. And Satan knows this. You know, there, it is said that a chain is no stronger than its weakest link. And so as the Christian, it's no stronger than its weakest element of character. But you are not weak. I mean, if you don't have everything on, you have, you know, Satan's going to take advantage of it. You're not going to be effective in fighting this battle unless you have every piece on. And you know how everything works. When, when I, uh, I remember one occasion, um, when I was a firefighter, I was assigned to an engine company. Engine 73. We were talking about numbers earlier there, uh, Earl. And in those days, there was four, four firefighters assigned to the engine company. Now, you have the, either the engine company or you have a ladder company. The engine, of course, it has all the hoses. We, it has a 500-gallon tank, water tank in, in the truck. And, and, of course, that's where the other firefighters there put the, the water, the, the, you know, put the, the fire out. The ladder truck, you could argue, is probably the, the, the most fun part of firefighting because those are the, the ones that break everything. You go in there and break the windows. You make entrance into the fire structure. You make wall, you break the walls. You, know? you, you go and climb to the roof, and, and, you, and you make a hole on the roof. And all that's important. It's important to ventilate the structure when you're fighting a fire. But I'd like to be uh, in the truck that had the water. If I'm going to go fight a fire, I'd rather have the water with me, right? So I was, a, a fire, I was in, in an engine, assigned to an engine, and, and, and so you had the driver, you had the, the officer, you had the search and rescue guy, and then you had the tip, the tip man. Now the tip man was the person that was assigned that day, so if you have a fire, you're the one who grabs the hose, you're the one that's going to go first in there put the fire out. So that day I was the tip man. And, and so we get, we get a call, we're fire first, we can get all dressed up, we're, we're ready. We, we turn, uh, you know, on, and make our turn in the street, and we see the smoke, so we definitely know this is not a false alarm. We had a fire. So I'm the tip man. So I get all right. I'm, I get all ready. I got my, my uh, SBA on. You know, it's like a, a backpack. And I get out and, of course, grab the hose. Now, we, you, you run into just as you're in front of the fire structure, and then that's when you put your mask on, okay? That's when you put your mask on and then your hood and everything. So I did that. What I didn't notice, though, is that when I put my mask on, the tubing that leads from the mask to the air tank got twisted. And because it got twisted, as I put my mask on, it didn't give me a proper seal. Now, you got to understand that during that time I was still a rookie, 
And during that time, I mean, if you're fighting a fire, there's, you don't have no time to horse around. You got to get in there. So here I am, I'm a rookie. I, I know I got to get in there. I'm the tip person there. So I'm going to get in there. So I didn't fix the problem. Now, that obviously was foolish of me, but I didn't. I just went in there. And, and understanding that if there's no seal, because the tubing was, pushed, uh, was pulling on the mask, so there was a leak. And so that means that the air tank is going to, you're going to run out of air pretty quick. But I go in there anyway, and luckily it wasn't a big fire. It was just a front bedroom, uh, second floor front bedroom, and I was able to put the fire out. But I wasn't able to stay for the whole thing. It's not just putting the fire out. There's an overhaul. You have to ventilate the place once uh, the fire is out, and, and the tip man does all that. I, was, I had to leave because I ran out of air. So because one piece of my equipment was faulty, wasn't working properly, and it was my fault, I wasn't effective in the battle. And the same thing is with us, friends. G, uh, uh, Paul Stain put all, the whole armor of God. Every piece of it is important if we're going to make it through this battle successfully. Amen? So what is the armor of God? What is the armor of God? Let's look, at, uh, let's look at each part individually. Verse 14, it talks about having girded your waist with truth, or also known in some versions as the belt of truth. How important is the belt in an outfit? Now, of course, you don't see me wearing a belt. I don't have a belt. And most, for, most of the, uh, uh, for the most part, we don't really have a belt unless... Uh, uh, firefighters that are assigned to specialized companies, like Heavy Rescue, for example, they have additional training, additional tools, and in some cases they wear a belt, but in general you don't have a belt on. But belt, the belt is very important, and, and, and in the uniform of the, uh, of the soldier, if you look at the, the, the picture there, of course, the belt is on the outer part. He has, he has put all everything on, all the defensive parts on, and then puts on his belt. When I get dressed, the last thing that I put on is the belt. But Paul mentions this first. Why do you think that is? Why does the belt of truth go on first? Well, because it is the belt of what? The belt of truth. What truth do you think he's talking about? It's the truth of the gospel, Nate. The truth of the gospel, the foundation of it all, it is the gospel message that allows us to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. See, you can't expect to fight any kind of battle unless you're properly uh, on the proper foundation, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is why Paul says, uh, talks about the belt of truth and talks about it first because it must be the foundation. You cannot expect to be successful in this battle if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just because we are in church doesn't mean we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus must be your Lord. He must be your Savior. He must be your friend. He must be your all. You're rocking your foundation. You're trusting on him and depending upon him. That's the truth that it must be founded upon. So notice then, the gospel or the belt of truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows us to have an intimate relationship with him. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Have you received him as Savior and Lord of your life? Because, friends, if you haven't, you will not succeed in this battle. You will fall. You will fall. What else he talks about? Verse 14, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, uh, I don't have anything specific that covers my chest specifically, but this uh, uh, is, again, the, the, the material that the, this gear is made of is meant to protect you up to, you know, temperatures of 2,000 degrees. Now, mind you, understand that when, when you are in, a, in an environment such as this, you're not, it's not, you're not meant to be there for a long time. So if you are in an environment of 1,000 degrees for a long time, you're going to get burned whether you have this or not. That's just the reality. And, and unfortunately, that's happened uh, many times. I, I've had colleagues that perished because of that. Uh, but so Paul, but Paul talks about this breastplate of righteousness. Now, the, the breastplate, as you see there on the screen uh, of the soldier, consisted of leather overlaid with metal, and it was long enough that it would protect your vital organs, your heart, your lungs, and your abdomen. Now, it is called the breastplate of what? Righteousness. righteousness. Whose Righteousness. You take up a Christ's righteousness because I'll tell you what, if it's my righteousness, it's not going to protect me at all. 
The Bible says that, 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 that there's none righteous, not even one. It is a breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus. Friends, this is grounded on, on the belt of truth because that's the gospel. The gospel tells us, friends, that not only our sins are forgiven when we come to Jesus, not only are we declared not guilty when we come to Jesus, but we are declared righteous. Imagine that, Sherman. We are declared righteous, not because we have that righteousness, but because the righteousness of Jesus is imputed into our account as if it was ours. That's powerful, friends. Not only you're not guilty, but you are righteous. See, our, our, our salvation does not depend upon our righteousness, but upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But now, again, it protects our heart. The heart has been linked in the Bible with our minds. It protects our minds. It protects our lungs, you know, where we draw in the much-needed oxygen. And, you know, uh, Mrs. White says that Prayer is the breath of the soul. You know, so you could argue that it protects your, your, your prayer life. And then it protects your abdomen. The abdomen is the seat of emotions. In, in, you know, biblically speaking, that's how it was often used. And, and so that tells us, friends, this is good for mental health. The certainty of salvation is good for mental health because you don't have to be anxious and depressed wondering about your salvation. Because let me tell you something. Satan is working hard to make you question your salvation. Oh, you know, you, are, you did that again? Oh, man, you're a failure. You know, God must have given up on you already because you failed him so many times. I don't know why you even go to church. You're a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. He starts to convince you of these things, and you're, and you're sad, and you're moping, you're depressed, and you're angry. Sometimes you wait, you're ready to give up. That's what Satan is doing. But a breastplate of righteousness protects us. Because now we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the gospel, which is the belt of truth, and now I have the certainty of salvation. Satan has nothing on me. The breastplate of righteousness. Put it on. So notice the breastplate of righteousness is that certainty of salvation. The certainty of salvation because we have been declared righteous by God on account of Jesus. Salvation is not dependent upon you, it's upon him. So when Satan tries to question, he says, oh, you know, you fell again. Yeah, I fell again, but I'm holding on to Jesus, and he's going to see me through. Verse 15, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now you look at my footwear. There's nothing really special about this. Uh, they are just rubber boots. You can get these at Home Depot. Um, but they, of course, they reach all the way up to right underneath your knee. So it protects your foot, ankle, and your lower leg. Uh, it keeps your feet dry. And it's strong enough. It's made of rubber, but it's strong enough that you can walk over some, you know, debris that, you know, that, that you'll find inside a fire structure, and, and your feet will be okay. Okay? But now Paul, looks, look, look, at, look at the uh, screen there, the image there. Soldiers back in... Um, in those days, they wore what, this is what's called greaves. Greaves, a piece of metal armor between the, the ankle and the, the knee, and it usually was covered in the front and the back. Now, uh, uh, this was a very important part of the armor because uh, if your feet or the legs were injured, you could neither stand to resist the foe, you could not pursue the foe, or you could not run away if things did not go your way. So this was a very important piece of equipment, very important piece of equipment. Now, in the Bible, uh, when we talk about feet, when we talk about, or, or, or the foot, it, we're talking about our walk with God. We're talking about our, our, our lifestyle with God. How important is our walk with God? How are we supposed to walk with God? May I submit to you that there's two ways uh, we ought to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Number one is we ought to walk with God in obedience. Now, Jesus tells us the, the motivation for that uh, obedience. John 14, 15, what does it say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments, right? Love is the motivation. Again, we have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, uh, we have accepted the gospel, right? We, we, we have the, the belt of truth. We understand that because of Jesus, we are saved. We have a certainty of salvation. I have the breastplate of righteousness. And now I choose to obey him out of love. 
Walk in obedience. You know, when we walk in obedience with God, we don't have to be afraid of where we're stepping on or what we're stepping off. We talked about that a little bit in our Sabbath school this week, the fact that we can experience rest because we are at peace because we are walking with God. If we're obeying God, we don't have to feel guilty, right? We don't have to be looking over our shoulders because we know that we're walking with him. It's just like when you're out there in the street. When you're driving, you're driving along, listen to music in your car, and all of a sudden you see in your rearview mirror there is that, you know, Patrol officer, the police, is right behind you. And all of a sudden, you slow down. Right? It's only me, right? Lucy will say, there's a cop over there. <laughs> all right, hold on. Now, you know, we all do it. But I think if we all had, if we all were going at 70 miles an hour, where there's a 70 mile an hour limit, not 55, uh, we wouldn't have that problem, now, would we? Right? We, we, we'd have peace. So we ought to walk in obedience to God uh, uh, as a result of that love. But now, there's another thing, because Paul says, shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. And he's actually quoting from Isaiah 52, 7, which he repeats in Romans 10, 15. And he says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul, it seems to me, he is suggesting here an evangelistic endeavor. The word feet and the, word, and, and the, pro, and the proclamation of the gospel of peace are linked together, suggesting in action the bearing of the message of the good news. See, the one who announces the good news is bringing the good news to the world, right? He's bringing that news to the world, and he advances the cause of Christ. He joins God's army against the enemy. When we're out there, friends, make no mistake, we're out there, we're going out there today, and, and we're going out getting given literature, we are entering into Satan's territory. When you tell somebody about Jesus, you're entering into his territory because he doesn't want you to do this. This is why you need to put on your feet, your, your, your boots, shod your feet. Because, friends, part of the Christian experience is to tell others about the gospel of Christ. And so when we shod our feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace, what it's telling us is that we need to tell others about Jesus. And, and, and again, we can't say, well, you know, I'll put on the helmet today, I'll put on my gear, but I don't like these boots, so I'm going to put my sneakers on and I'm going to go and fight that fire. That's not going to work, friends. you got the, you got to have the whole thing on. you got to have the whole thing. So notice, shod your feet, walking in obedience to God and sharing the gospel to, uh, uh, as to make disciples. We are obeying the Great Commission. If you're going to make it through this battle, through this great controversy, you have to be a witness. If you're not a witness, your feet are not prepared. And you're going into the battle with an incomplete uniform. And you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Paul continues in verse 16. He talks about having the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, Roman soldiers, they were equipped with a, a large rectangular wooden shield. And they covered that shield with leather. But what they would do before engaging into battle is that they would take that leather and they would dip it in water. And so, of course, the leather absorbed the water, and that was a great defense against the fiery arrows, the fiery darts, the water. I think that we need to dip our own shield in the water of life, because have you ever had uh, the devil shoot fiery arrows at you? Maybe he does it every day, right? The darts of fear, of doubt, of pessimism of depression and anxiety, of problems with your family, of problems with their health, of financial issues. You can go on and on. Satan works hard. you got to give it to them, at least that. And it is these darts, friends, that cause us to lose our cool and cause us to doubt God. Think about it. When, you, when, when you're going through so many things in your life, you've had a tough week. Jay, we were talking about that earlier, you know? One thing after the other, Satan is relentless, and sometimes what he, what he wants to accomplish is that now we sit down and say, well, I guess God's forgotten about me. 
Maybe he isn't love at all. Maybe he isn't true. Maybe he doesn't really exist. And we, he convinces us. And all of a sudden, we don't believe in him anymore because we've loosed our, lost our cool because of these fiery darts. This is why it's the shield of faith. Jesus said, how important is, is faith, friends? Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if your faith is the size of what? A little tiny mustard seed. You can tell this mountain to move, and it will move. How powerful is faith, friends? Because, you know, we have plenty of reasons why we ought to have faith in God. Notice we've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. We have accepted the gospel. We have the assurance of salvation because of the righteousness that we, have. we are accredited because of Christ. We have shot our feet. We're walking in obedience to God because of love. We're telling others about Jesus. And now, of course, we know everything that God has done for us and we trust him. We have faith that no matter what happens, no matter how many fiery darts he shoots at us, we have our shield. Now, as an engine man, my shield technically was my hose because, you know, you, the nozzle has different settings. And you can put the nozzle in a fog pattern. And when you have the nozzle in a fog pattern, you can counteract the heat and it will protect you. So that's my shield. That was my shield. But our shield is trusting in God, having faith in God, knowing that he will, he will protect you from Satan's fiery darts. Satan's not going to give up, so you're going to need a shield. You need to trust in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. How important is the helmet? Now, this helmet is hard enough to withstand uh, strong impacts, debris falling, that kind of thing hitting your head. But it isn't indestructible, obviously. It isn't indestructible. It could break. In some cases, it can melt. Think about it. You're in an environment of 1,000 degrees. Now, I remember before I became a firefighter, I used to, an EMT, I worked with other uh, uh, people that were firefighters, and I, I was working with a guy, uh, well, we were friends with him, that he was a firefighter, he'd been years in the department already, and um, one, one day he, uh, he responded his, uh, to a, a multi-alarm fire, it was a church fire in, in Philadelphia, and he got trapped in the church. He got trapped in the basement. And the fire was raging. And he was trying to find a way out. And the heat was so intense that the helmet melted against his head. So he had, you know, scars around, his, around the perimeter of his face on his head. So it isn't indestructible, but obviously a very important part of our uniform. Now, you see some styles of, of helmets, firefighter helmets. This one is a hard uh, a helmet, but it also is covered with leather, this one here. Uh, this one's an old one, just, uh, you know, a little bit old helmets the way they used to be. But now, this is a typical, this is typically what a helmet, usually a firefighter helmet looks like. Now, it's not exactly how the one that, one that I have, but the, the reason for the way this is designed is because when you are entering into a fire structure and you are fighting a fire, when you find a fire, you don't aim your hose at the fire. What you do is you aim your hose to the ceiling, and you allow the water to fall on the fire. Now, if you're in an environment of 1,000 degrees, that water is going to get heated up pretty quickly, and it'll fall on you. So the idea was that the, if, if, if the water falls on your helmet, it will not get in here, back here and burn your skin. So that's why it's designed that way. Okay, But notice, again, Paul says a, hopeless, a helmet of salvation, uh, it protects our head, it protects the most vital part, the seed of our will and our intelligence. And Paul talks about this helmet elsewhere in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So notice in one place he says the helmet of salvation, and somewhere else he says the helmet is the hope of salvation. Again, it's tied to that certainty of salvation that we saw with the breastplate of righteousness. But when Satan attacks us, where does he start? When he tries to tempt us, where does he start? He starts right here. And maybe you can agree with me that oftentimes the hardest thing to control are your thoughts. Isn't that right? 
Seems like your thoughts betray you. Sometimes they seem like they take control over you. And see, this is what Satan is doing, because if he can control your mind, he will control your actions. It all starts up here, and this is why we need that, that helmet protection, the helmet that protects our minds so that no blows of Satan's battle axe can penetrate it. Because if you can get in here, he has, his, he has his battle won already. Satan often attacks our minds and our thoughts to the point they control us, so we need the helmet of salvation. No, it's the hope of salvation that will protect our minds against Satan. When Satan puts a thought in your mind, an evil thought in your mind, you need to say, I rebuke you, Satan. I'm holding on to Jesus. We need to be intentional about this. Because what happens a lot of times is that when we have those evil, sinful thoughts, we sort of like to have those evil, sinful thoughts. And we continue thinking and thinking that way, and it becomes a custom and a habit, and then we can't break free. And so understanding that Jesus is your Savior, understanding how your salvation is accomplished, noting that you're walking in obedience with him, telling others about the gospel of Jesus, having that shield of faith, you're trusting in, in, in him for everything, including to give your victory of your thoughts. But may I suggest to you that there is one other way that we can protect our minds, and I believe that's why the sword of the Spirit is there. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Why is the sword of the Spirit important? What does Paul say the sword of the Spirit is? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Now, now a sword is both an offensive and a defensive a weapon. Now, as a firefighter, you, know, you mentioned, uh, Jade, you mentioned the axe earlier. So, yes, firefighters often have certain tools that they do, you know, use to accomplish their task. This is a, the most common one. It's called a halligan tool. And it's very practical. You can, uh, uh, you know, make an entrance into a, a building if you need to. You can find your way out by having the right tool. So this is the most common one that most firefighters have, and it has different parts there that are very practical for uh, the job of a firefighter, the halligan. And of course, we know, of course, the the, the usual firefighter axe. These are weapons that the firefighter uses to accomplish his task. We are to use the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it's called the sword of the Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who helps us remember the Word of God. When Jesus was in the desert, how did, how did he counteract the, uh, the temptations of Satan? It is written. Jesus quoted Scripture. Jesus knew his Bible. He knew how to use it and when, and when to use it in the appropriate time. Now, the devil did, did know his Bible too, right? Make no mistake, the devil knows his Bible. The problem is that he takes it out of context. And he took it out of context with Jesus. But the point is, he is that example. Jesus is that example. When we are tempted, when Satan attacks us, we need to know our word of God. This is why it's important that we memorize promises. That we read the stories and reread the stories, that we reread these promises, so when those times come, we can say, It is written, and counteract the attacks of Satan. And so, this sword of the Spirit is the ability, notice the Word of God, and the ability to recall it on the proper occasions. That's how you're going to make it. You need to have everything on if you're going to make it through this battle. And you need to have your weapon, too. Now, Paul sort of make a transition here because he then starts talking about prayer. He talks about prayer. And notice he says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So prayer in this context is not necessarily another weapon, but prayer is the spirit, the manner, and the attitude in which we fight the battle. You see, now our uniform is on. We have every part of our, of our armor on, and we need to have a continual state of mind. I'm praying all the time. Pray, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Having equipped your, your, your spiritual soldier, he shows now the necessity of praying that he may successfully resist those principalities, those powers, those rulers of darkness. 
See, now that you have your uniform on, now that you've donned your protective gear, the battle begins, but the battle begins on our knees. We have to pray. Now, you've probably seen this on TV, although I would say that TV is not necessarily the most accurate or realistic when it comes to different things. And, and if you f- watch firefighter shows like I do, they're not realistic at all. For example, in a firefighter show, you can walk into a structure that's burning and you can see everything clearly. That's not true. You can't see anything when you go into a fire structure. It is pitch black. Now, we know the, the, how, how fires work. Heat rises. Smoke rises. And so when a firefighter is ready to go in the structure, you're not just walking in. When you're ready to fight the fire, you got to get on your knees. And you crawl with your hose. And you have to find your way in there. The battle for a firefighter begins on their knees. The coolest place is, the, you know, because heat rises, smoke rises. If you're ever in a fire, God forbid, in your home and you're trying to escape because your house is on fire, make sure you're not walking. Make sure you get on your knees. You crawl because the coolest place is on the ground. You don't want to burn yourself or, or of course, run out of air. The, 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 the firefighter begins on his knees, and this is what Paul is talking about. We have done our, our, the, the armor of God. Now the battle begins on our knees. Now, it, it was customary for the armies in Paul's days that, you know, before they engaged into battle, they actually would lift up their, 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 their prayers to their gods for their success. And, of course, we know their gods are false gods. We, our God, is the only true God. And so the, the idea is that we now, as we engage in this battle, we Call upon the captain of our salvation. Now again, entering the fire structure on your knees with your hose on. You're ready to engage. But shortly behind me is the lieutenant or the captain. And the lieutenant and the captain is a seasoned firefighter. He's been around the block, or she's been around the block. They, they have seen their, their, their share of fires. They know how fires react and how they behave. They know what to look for. This is especially useful for a rookie. And, as, and so as you're entering there and you're crawling, again, it is pitch black. You have never been in that place before. You have to find a fire because you don't just go in there and start spraying water. You don't spray water until you find the fire. And you have to find a fire. It may be that the fire is at the other end of the, of the building and you can't see anything. You've got to find your way. And you've got to feel against the, the walls and you hit yourself against the furniture. But you're moving and you're moving and you're moving in there and you can't see anything. But shortly behind there is the captain. The one who's seen it before. And sometimes as, he, as I am crawling and crawling, his hand is right on my shoulder. As if telling me, listen, you may not be able to see me, but I'm going to guide you into this. We're going to fight, and we're going to do it together, and we're going to be successful. And friends, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And so we enter in this battle on our knees. We have Jesus right behind us telling us the same thing. You may not see me. This is hard. This is dark. But I am right there with you. That's how the battle is won. That's how the battle is won. I asked earlier, you know, I, I, I should imagine really now that, that, that if we had, if this church, if everyone in this church had the, 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 the faith the size of a mustard seed, imagine how powerful this church would be. Now I ask you to imagine how powerful this church would be if after donning the armor of God, we would engage together in prayer in corporate prayer, prayer of unity. You know, when, when the uh, Roman legion got together, the soldiers, when they were together, they covered one another. As a unified army, a legion was virtually invincible. They were alert, they persevered, they moved forward, advancing the cause of Rome. And my friends, putting on the armor of God will keep us alive 
will help us be part of God's army and advance the cause of Christ. But you have to have everything on. You need to put your gear on and you will live. The armor of God, the whole armor of God. Notice again the belt of truth. That gospel message that allows us to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, the certainty of salvation, because we have been declared righteous by God. Your feet, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, walking in obedience as a result of love and proclaiming the gospel, being a witness. The shield of truth, or faith rather. Having faith in God, trusting him, we got plenty of reasons why to trust God and that he will protect us against Satan's fiery darts. If Satan is not going to give up, God doesn't give up either. We need to trust him. Put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation that will protect our minds so Satan does not come in. The sword of the spirit, the weapon, and that weapon is the word of God, learning the word of God so that we can use it at the proper times. And having donned the whole gear, engaged in the battle through prayer, and specifically through corporate prayer. And you know, as I said earlier, the more the days that pass, the more the days pass, the, the, the clearer, a clearer picture it, 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 we are seeing about how the, uh, the, the, the events of the end of time are going to take place. Even this week, we saw another glimpse of how easy this will become. And friends, it's going to get tougher. We're in this war, and it's going to get harder, but I want to be able to stand in that evil day, don't you? And so I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you today that you will put on the whole gear, put on the whole armor of God, and you will be able to stand. Is that your desire today, friends? For joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.